Welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast. I'm your host, John Struble. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or you can listen to our streaming episodes on our website at charlestonlaw.edu. We kick off our Charleston School of Law podcast summer series this week. Whether you're on the beach, on the deck, on the road, definitely subscribe to the podcast. I would like to welcome our guest today, Professor Bill Jansen. Professor Jansen, thank you so much for taking the time today. My pleasure, John. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you. And I I need to bring this up first before we jump into some of the topics that we're going to talk about. Shortly after I came on staff here, it was around um, fall time. And probably a couple months in, I walked out into the lobby area and there was Gumby. Now, it didn't seem to me odd because it was around the Halloween season. So, you know, wasn't that far-fetched to see that. It was not a character for the season. And later I come to find out you were Gumby. And then I later come to find, <laughs> find out that you were the lucky leprechaun in your classroom and Santa Claus at Christmas time or an elf or whatever it is. How long have you been doing that and having that kind of fun in the classroom? Uh, John, I think I did that from the first year that I arrived at the law school. Okay. Uh, I think I think the law is a tough nut to crack, mm. particularly for students like I was. It went from finger painting to law school without a break, without mm. any real life, real world experience, and you're trying to get your mind around something you've never really focused on before. I think uh, a costume now and then to let everybody know we're sort of in this together and we're partners in that mission is a good thing. Now, conceitedly, John, Gumby is dated. And now (laughs) I've got to start telling everybody who he was (laughs) and the classics uh, in which he appeared. Uh, But uh, it's it's just a lot of fun. Yeah. Did you pick that up from another professor or what inspired you to start doing that where you said, you know what? Or you just maybe kind of felt some tension in the classroom. It's like, I need to relax them a little bit. Well, I, 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 hopefully there's never tension in the classroom. Hopefully there's always that zeal for learning. And if I picked it up, John, <laughs> from another source, I don't, I don't recall it. Okay. So I can't tell you for sure one way or the other, but I'll tell you this, it has, it, it has reinforced its value in my mind because that class, I think, uh, the students connect with one another and with me in a way that they hadn't up until that point. So that's a lot of fun. Yeah. So let's jump into uh, a a couple professional things about you, Professor Jansen. What inspired you to practice law before you ever went to law school? Was someone in your family in the law? Was it someone who you um, looked at as a role model? Who was it? Or what we, was it? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair qualification. I uh, I had nobody in my family, at least none that I knew of, who were uh, lawyers. Okay. Uh, and if there are lawyers, it would be very remote in our family. Mm. Um, for me, when I was in high school, I uh, glommed on to competitive debating oh. and just thought that was a terrific way to uh, to have a really fun 
and um, positive after-school experience in addition to the various sports that we would all do. Mm. I thought it was a fun way to have football in a business suit. And and I I just got a kick out of it. And, you know, that was a natural segue for college. Yeah. And then uh, college, I think it got it got a little more erudite in terms of the topics that were being explored and the depth of competitive debating at at the college level, and it just seemed like a natural segue. Where did you study? Uh, undergrad at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, a proud hawk. All right. And uh, I went to law school at American University in Washington, D.C. Okay. Yeah. And you practice law... For how long and where? Just just under 17 years at my law firm, Saul Ewing, which was headquartered in the Philadelphia area and now has a gazillion offices all over the place. Okay. Um, it was a very comfortable place to practice, and I never uh, – I developed a great set of support there and had a wonderful time doing that. Before I joined the firm, I, I had clerked for two federal judges for a while. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I did my best to, to stay in the academic realm for quite a while there. Who impacted you in your law um, professional career that as you were coming through that really had an impact and influence on the way you practice law? Were there certain attorneys or was it a collaborative approach where everybody you were coming in contact with, when you have a real passion for something, you're always hungry to learn more? And John, that was me. Yeah. Everybody impacted the way I practice law. The the um, clerk at the court impacted the way mm. I practice law. The the uh, tip staff for the judge impacted the way I practice law. You know, watching a juror's reaction to something impacted the way I practice law. Clients did, colleagues did. Uh, it, it really was the way you describe it. it if it's something you enjoy doing, mm. everything's giving you a little clue. And you never stop learning it because exactly. you're constantly pursuing it and there's new roads to go down and new places to travel in that industry or profession. So um, at what point in your career after 17 years of practicing law, did you say, you know what, I want to start transitioning into teaching in the classroom and bringing my experience to that classroom? What kind of led you to that point? Well, I don't know that it it was a transitional path like that so much. So when I was a senior associate at my law firm making the, the run towards partnership, uh, I was an adjunct for a law school in the Philadelphia area and, and was loving every minute of it. Now, it's, it's in the evening after your workday is done or at an interruption in your workday before <laughs> it resumes at 8.30 at night. Um, but it was, uh, it was a very enjoyable sort of information exchange experience I found. And as we got, uh, my class got closer to the partnership run, I stepped away from that. Gotcha. And, and John, I always missed it. Um, so I had kept my eye out for um, a, a law school that I thought would be an intriguing next adventure for me. And I never found one until Charleston 
had a pitch that was, at least at that time, so unique that it it intrigued me. The, the pitch was, we want our teachers to do all of the things that every law professor does, be a scholar, be out there contributing to the literature, uh, practicing in a pro bono sense, giving back to the community, being good stewards of the opportunity, but our defining characteristic, I was told, was classroom energy, classroom experience, the experience in the classroom between the teacher and the students, that was going to be the priority. And John, there aren't a lot of law schools, at least when I, when I was considering making that leap, mm. that had anything like that pitch. It was always, well, let's see how prominently you can publish an article or how prominently you can speak at a, at a professional gathering, which, which always seemed to me to be the cart, not the horse. Right. You know, the, the horse should be, here's this classroom filled of young, energetic, inspired people that want to go and make a difference. And how cool is that to be a part uh, of that experience and to have that be the mission of the school? You are the Dead Poet Society of law school. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Far that reminded me. But I get that. Yeah. The primary is teaching in the classroom. Yeah. The secondary and the tertiary and all that are all those extra elements. And and not to poo-poo all those. Other, no, they're, uh, they're great. They're, they're all critically important. But to have an institution say, you know what our number one priority is, it's excellence for that hour and 20 minutes between the teacher and the students. That was unique. And, and that's been inspiring me ever since, John. You've been teaching here at Charleston School of Law since 2006. You still, because I've seen you in classroom settings, you still get fired up when you go into the classroom. What is it that keeps that energy for you? Is it the students that just kind of like feed you? Uh, uh, un unquestionably, that's true, but I think you have to love the content, John. Mm. And, you know, somebody once told me that I, I must have microwaved once with the door open because <laughs> I, I, I have such a passion for civil procedure, which is, which is one of uh, the topics that, that I really glom onto myself. And we have uh, a superb array of civil procedure professor, professors at our law school, yeah. and I'm happy to be among them. Right. But if you're excited about what you're teaching, John, man, you could be teaching about rocks yep. and find it inspiring. Yeah. That is so funny. Well, I've been accused of eating too many paint chips off when I was a kid, too, and I think you can see that that has had its impact on me. So you, one of the things about your professional, if you look at your resume, I mean, you have worked in that uh, law firm for a long time, and you've done a lot of work um, in pharmaceutical law, big pharma, high-profile cases, big money, big business, how how did that, however many years you did that, 17 years, 
How did that impact you professionally and personally? Did it carry over into your personal life? Because you see a lot of people really damaged from that stuff. Curious. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, it, it, it reinforced something that I thought um, ha- has always been the hallmark of at least what we aspire our justice system to be. Mm. If you went to the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., emblazoned at the top is equal justice under law. And it should mean that if you are a little guy who has been mistreated by a conglomerate cell phone company, Mm -hmm. you should get a fair crack at it just like the company gets a fair crack at it. Mm. And and both sides of that equation have to be treated fairly. The company needs to be treated fairly. Mm-hmm. The person with the claim needs to be treated fairly. And when the law celebrates equal treatment to everybody in a courtroom, John, man, that's you've reached the apex of what our profession is supposed to be. Wow. And, and pharma was uh, a ton of fun because it also involved other disciplines, mm-hmm. medicine and, and healthcare manufacturing and engineering and all of these intellectual property, all of these creative endeavors coalescing together to provide uh, service in an industry setting was was just fascinating. You got to be just as curious as a human being in the human condition to survive and thrive as a as an attorney. It sounds like to me because as you talk about those other industries, you get a while to learn about medical and you know all those other different pieces that start to come in to really succeed in the courtroom at the end of the day. Is that, is that a fair assessment? It is. I, I, one of the great things about products liability, which is an area that I, that I focus my practice in, is every day it's a different story. You know, it's a different tale, very little repetition. Mm. It is all someone else in a different setting encountering something in a way that uh, it hadn't been encountered before, perhaps, and creating an opportunity for the law to apply its sense of judgment to resolve a dispute. So if you were an intellectually curious person, you were always learning. Awesome. Um, The evolution of teaching law. I had penciled this in and wanted to ask you, you have been teaching full-time in the classroom since 2006, so I'm sure you have a lot of professional resources and access points. How do you stay relevant to not only textbook teaching, but bringing that practical experience into the courtroom? You've had your own, but things keep evolving and changing. So how, what do you do to stay relevant and continue learning yourself? It's a great question, and you have to. You, you have to. So first, there's the, the, to me, it's the classroom piece, which is uh, always got to be uh, a teacher's priority. So at the end of every class, John, I walk back to my office and I scribble myself notes about 
things that I want to change about that class because of uh, different uh, ideas that came to students or the dynamic created uh, a, a path that I hadn't anticipated before. So never being satisfied that you finally, quote unquote, have it in the can. Yeah keeps it relevant because it's always different than it was before. As respects the core knowledge of the law, how does the law become uh, uh, relevant in a dynamic state? For me, civil procedure is easy because it is constantly in motion. Mm. There is always something new that's happening. So you almost have to be regularly following the evolution in the law of civil procedure to remain at a base level of competence as a practitioner and as an educator. So that sort of solves itself. If you start mailing it, the day you start mailing it in, we'll show you the front door yeah, because right. it's, it's, it's over at that point. And your career should never be a mailed right. career, right? Right. You, you should, should be always passionate. be passionate. Jumping yeah. out of bed, yeah. getting excited to go to work. Final question for you, because I know you got to get running. Um, when I mention you to students, their immediate response is, oh, tell grandma. And I, when I first heard it, I'm like, what? It, it's a phrase you use often in class. First, what does it mean? And then what, when did you start using that phrase? What does it mean in the classroom setting when I hear that? Because I hadn't heard, heard it. But So for you, what does it mean? So I, I, I think when we first encounter the law, we embrace lingo. Mm. Um, let's find a Latin word to describe <laughs> Why use three words when 47 <laughs> can be assembled to do that? And my pitch to my students is, is this. If you can communicate the clarity of a legal principle to someone untrained in the law, how fantastically have you pitched that concept? The idea that someone who's sitting there making you grilled cheese for lunch and is unexposed to the law mm -hmm that you could explain a complex topic, it forces us as students to think about it in a manner divorced from the lingo, divorced from the complexity, and we go to back down to core principles. So at the end of the day, what is this legal principle trying to do? And if you can explain that while the grilled cheese is grilling, I think you've moved to a different level of comprehension. You retain it. The knowledge is galvanized in your mind, and you're better positioned to use it as a student or a practitioner. And I think it really opens your mind to the person you're talking to doesn't understand all this lingo going in, so you need to speak in layman's terms. Layman's terms is what we're getting down to. When you say if you can 
tell grandma? Is that what you're that's is that it. what you're s- suggesting? Here? That's it. When did you started using that in the classroom? I, John, I don't remember. Uh, I, 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 did it just it, pop up? Yeah, what? I think so. <laughs> I think so. And then everyone sort of, uh, I think, found it to be uh, a nice way of capturing the idea. Yeah. So. And someone once said it's dumbing it down. It's not so much reducing the complexity of it. It's mastering how that complexity gets presented Mm -hmm. in a way that allows someone to immediately understand it. It's mass appeal because everybody can understand that. That's it. Well said. If you could tell it to grandma, then you've got to explain. You could tell jury. That's it. Of that. Professor Bill Jansen is our guest on the Charleston School of Law podcast. I want to thank you so much, Professor Jansen, for coming in and talking to me and spend some time with me and share your passion. Thank you so much for your time. It's a pleasure, John. Thanks for having me.